welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk. I'm Sean, and I'm joined here by Rick. Good afternoon. Good morning, everybody. Also, Alec. Hello. And of course, our trusted colleague, Charles. Hey, how's it going? What so, makes one, one a, a trusted colleague? I don't know. You just get a certain like look about them, like a feeling, you know, and you just know this guy's got it. It's a good point. The scam is working. <laughs> <laughs> so we are uh, back to you once again, broadcasting from Digital Shadow Studios, uh, this time from our moon base, the Sea of Tranquility, um, coming to you with a couple of different quick news bites. Uh, in recent ransomware threat landscape, we've seen some uh, developments this week with uh, Babook rebranding themselves, now going to an extortion-only model. Uh, so that should be fun and not having to worry about the ransomware. Of course, these actors have uh, decided to kind of split amongst themselves the, the previous empire. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. And then, of course, there's the JBS attack, which shut down a very large uh, beef producer. Uh, they also hold stakes in a lot of different meatpacking um, industries and kind of a pretty big company overall. Uh, yesterday, Reuters declared uh, Reveal as the actor behind the attack, which the FBI has since confirmed more news as it develops. Uh, but first off, we definitely want to talk about kind of like the actor of, of the week, and, and this actor is Nobelium. Uh, Nobelium kind of first came to the public view uh, probably earlier this year in, in about March uh, when Microsoft named the activity uh, as Nobelium. Uh, the activity itself that they had seen was dating back to August to September of, of 2020. Uh, but it may have gone back as far as June of 2020. Uh, the actual naming for Nobelium is based on the activities uh, themselves without actually linking them to known actors. So um, not falling into the kind of uh, trap of trying to link them to say a cozy bear or a fancy bear or some other actor. Um, FireEye has also uh, named the actor UNC 2452, which means that they are linking it to an activity and not necessarily to a known group at this time. Um, the activities themselves that are linking all of the, the different incidents together are based on observed tools and tactics um, used by Nobelium, which puts the, you know, these different attacks into the, into the family. Um, and the, probably the more noteworthy event this year, um, kind of the you know, Nobelium breaking into the scene was uh, as they were named as part of the SolarWinds breach, uh, which we all know caused major havoc among security firms, governments, and just about any enterprise out there that had any sort of SolarWinds appliances in their networks. Um, so Nobelium uh, also came to the forefront just this week, um, had some interesting developments with them. So Alec, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, telling us a little bit about what happened. Sounds good. Yeah, let's see how many times we can say Nobelium within a, a 30 second time span. But uh, this, drink. yeah, <laughs> I know, right? But this week, yeah, some Nobelium activity um, specifically targeting think tanks, consultants, and NGOs, non-government organizations. Um, pretty interesting tactic of kind of how they went about targeting. So they gained access to the Constant Contact account. I guess Constant Contact, it's a service that's used for email marketing. They gained access to the Constant Contact account of USAID. So for those that don't can you, know. Can you say that again five times in a row, Alec? Contact. Constant. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, the United States or the USA is United States Agency for International Development. So uh, it's an independent agency of the United States federal government. 
primarily responsible for administering civilian foreign aid uh, and development assistance. So uh, kind of keeping with trends of what we've seen with Nobelium activity, they're kind of targeting what's trending. Obviously, uh, foreign aid and, and kind of like aid in general right now is pretty um, top of mind with the COVID-19 pan- pandemic. So they're very much aware of what's, uh, you know, as you ex- expect a nation state actor like Nobelium, they're very much aware of what's going on uh, in the global landscape. So using that as a way to structure their fishing, uh, like I mentioned, they're targeting specifically like think tanks, uh, most of kind of like your run of the mill, what you would expect from nation state activity. Um, but as far as like what actually went into the attacks, uh, they're distributing phishing emails. They looked obviously looked authentic, uh, but included a link with the malicious file, uh, distributing a backdoor Microsoft names as native zone. Uh, the backdoor uh, really kind of just enables the threat actors, as you iman- imagine, to a wide range of activities. Um, but I think most notably, this kind of like goes into the targeting of the supply chain, like what we saw out of the SolarWinds attack. Um, and I think Microsoft names kind of concerns there specifically uh, in the fact that they're trying to gain access to trusted technology providers. You know, one of the biggest issues that I think caused the most concerns from the SolarWinds attack and it's continuing to be a tactic that nation state threat actors are going to leverage in, in the coming Definitely. times. I mean, we've seen a lot of this stuff before, you know, previously with targeting of different types of government agencies or, or contractors or companies that work with governments uh, or into those kind of more sensitive spaces, you know, on the internet, th- these types of attacks kind of play in. I, I know Microsoft shut down a lot of different domains that were spoofed and kind of lookalike domains that were, you know, tied to various types of, uh, you know, Russian threat actors and, and even some Chinese actors, if I recall correctly. Uh, but the, you know, this would be a hallmark, you know, a great way to get in is, you know, using a trusted tool that has trusted domains with, uh, you know, this was an actual sender that was able to send these phishing emails, you know, so it's, um, it's kind of that next step past lookalike and spoof domains and going into actual, you know, just poning the actual real good stuff that is not going to get shunned by security tools necessarily. Yep. Yep. It just reiterates kind of that zero, that zero trust policy is really just be skeptical of everything that you're receiving. And so uh, even if it looks legitimate, kind of double check, triple check, because you can never be too safe. What I think was good is just based on all the updates that Microsoft has put out, they've been very open about what's going on with this. And a lot of that included updating, you know, most of their tools, you know, things with Windows Defender, and I'm sure a lot of the Office 365 and, and similar infrastructure probably had a lot of the indicators, you know, basically already blocked or at least kind of on the on the deny list. So um, it's good to see that they were very, you know, open about what they were doing on their side to, you know, kind of get that confidence among the rest of us out here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Microsoft's not biased at all, but they definitely call out, you know, Defender, Antivirus, uh, the EDR, Microsoft products that they, they kind of have there. And uh, they've definitely said that they are capable of defending against these types of attacks and have were successful in defending them in, in what they um, observed in recent activities. So it goes to show that maybe there is some ways we can kind of defend against these threats. Yeah. And if nothing else, you know, it just goes back to checking the links of the email, you know, even if the, the sender looks right, look at the message itself. You know, this was a, uh, this is a, you know, a non-governmental, you know, agency that's out there trying to, you know, work on a, 
uh, international aid, you know, why, why would they be sending inflammatory stuff about, you know, Trump's reelection campaign? Uh, so there's some things where you have to look and see if the message jibes with what's going on with the actual sender. Um, so lots of little clues in here and there, and, you know, even just that a user awareness when the tools fail. So. Definitely. Um, so speaking of, you know, user awareness, I know that, um, like just recently VMware, who's, you know, of course a very large player in the cloud space um, and probably touches every organization out there. Uh, looks like that we had a couple of exploits that were announced um, pretty high criticality and some pretty interesting stuff. So Charles, what have you seen about the, the VMware exploits out there? Yeah. So uh, right now um, like this big one is the, uh, the vSphere client. Uh, basically it's like an input validation bug. Um, and so anybody who has access like on the network to the vSphere client can, uh, issue commands and they have just, I mean, completely unrestricted privileges. Uh, so that's uh, pretty, pretty high severity. And of course, you know, like a lot of these things, if they're, if they're on the internet, that means, you know, if, if anybody can get to them, but if they're not behind a firewall or VPN or something like that, then, uh, you know, it poses a pretty huge risk to, to organizations, um. So that's kind of the, the big one that's out there with it's right now it's got a CVSS score of uh, 9.8. So. Yeah. It looked like it was kind of like the worst case scenario where it's like uh, not only like unauthenticated, but remote user. Uh, so don't yeah. even need to be on the box, anything. Um, and on port 443, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, like you said, it's uh, kind of that, that hat trick there of uh, worst case scenarios. So. So, um, and I know that this is their second kind of critical one with a fairly high score. How does this differ from um, the one that got announced earlier this year? Uh, so the, the previous one actually uh, kind of, to me at least, it reminded me of, of the Citrix vulnerability that came out in early 2019 uh, in that somebody could send like a specially crafted request uh, and execute commands that way um, the, on, uh, on the VMware stuff. And so that's kind of, again, it goes back to... Uh, with those similarities of being able to, to execute those commands, like VMware runs virtualization software, you know? And so if you're able to, to own that, then at that point, like you can start getting commands on the underlying OS and uh, manipulating a whole lot of other stuff. And, and really uh, either for intelligence gathering purposes or just destructive behavior, uh, you have a, a lot of options there. Uh, yeah. Nothing like kind of like breaking through the, you know, the hypervisor itself. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you could crawl into all kinds of other VMs with other stuff. It's scary, really scary. Um, Absolutely. So for the, you know, people out there that might be using VMware and haven't heard about this or, you know, weren't aware, um, are there any kind of mitigations or patches available yet? Uh, yeah, you can patch. Uh, I mean, if you can't do that yet, you know, obviously like don't expose stuff to the internet. It doesn't need to be exposed. I think would be a big one. So like, uh, don't, don't put vSphere on the internet. Uh, if you can put it behind a, a VPN or, you know, only allow like certain, you know, specific authenticated administrators, uh, get access to it, you know, put it behind a firewall, something like that. Like just, just restrict it as much as you can, uh, you know, restrict access and don't just have it just sitting there on the internet for anybody to find. So. Yeah, that's sound advice for like pretty much anything. Like expose the least amount of things on the internet as possible for sure. Um, but absolutely, uh, we wouldn't be saying it every time if people didn't keep doing that. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at you, SMBV1 users. Um, so, well, the uh, and I know finally the the one that just dropped on everyone today was uh, 
of course, uh, President Biden uh, wrote an open letter just firing a warning shot uh, to basically everybody in the industry who has any kind of stake um, on the internet. Uh, so, Rick, I know um, you guys can't see this, but Rick has been uh, basically kind of jumping up and down and pacing like uh, like Eminem before a rap battle. Um, he's ready, <laughs> ready to just go to town on this. So, yeah, it's been it's been a busy what three weeks now with the Biden administration. We had the the uh, the executive order on cybersecurity. Actually, I think three weeks ago today, um, on Thursday, as we're recording this one, and now today, uh, one of uh, one of his executives, Ann Nuremberger, um, deputy assistant uh, to the uh, National Security Advisor and the Cyber and Emerging Technology, she's got quite the title, um, but basically did an open letter to corporate executives and business leaders on the state of ransomware. Um, it's kind of interesting to me. It's a three page. It's a short one. We can actually put it in the, uh, in the show notes too. If you haven't seen it by the time, by the time, um, the podcast comes out, basically it says the private sector has a critical responsibility to protect against these threats and all organizations must recognize that no company is safe from being targeted by ransomware, regardless of size or location, which kind of makes me think back in the day on, on the, on the, on the, some of the nation state stuff, you would hear companies say, you know, why would I be targeted? I'm a small company, you know, why would I be targeted? And I think the Verizon DBI did a good job is probably 10 years ago when they first started doing break, uh, vertical breakouts and talked about targeting there to show that even if you were a small company, you could be a target. And now of course here, the ransomware actors are um, casting a, a much wider net. Alec, you might be able to confirm this for me off the top of your head, but I think me looking recently at the extortion targeting, you know, it's, we, we see the industrial goods and services sector being one of the more targeted sectors when it comes to extortion. Uh, am I off base there? Or, you know, we still see certain verticals that are more targeted than other verticals. No, no, you're exactly right. Yeah. We're seeing industrial goods and services. There are certain verticals or certain areas. Uh, we're going to, I think we recently did publish a blog regarding the increases in ransomware tar targeting law. Uh, related organizations, so legal services, um, because oftentimes they have uh, ransomware insurance, and this kind of goes into that conversation about ransomware insurance and whether you know we should be paying or shouldn't be paying ransomware actors, whether it's kind of like furthering the activity by giving them a payment. But uh, yeah, no, we definitely see some ransomware actors have favorite targets. Industrial goods and services seems to be one of those uh, that is a reoccurring theme in the ransomware quarterlies that we publish. I would say if you don't, um, if you, it kind of goes back to something Sean was alluding to, uh, you know, running certain protocols, not patching certain things, uh, your, your external exposure is just going to invite the ransomware um, actors to target you uh, because you're just, you know, sitting there with a come on in sign at the front door. Uh, the, you know, after kind of the, the, that first page where it's kind of setting the stage and, and saying, you know, the threat's real and everyone's in the mix, they go into like what we urge you to do actually calls back to the uh, cybersecurity executive order from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it talks about the five best practices in there, multi-factor authentication, uh, EDR, encryption, um, skilled empowered security team, uh, so you can do your patches and things along those lines. And then they have a number of other recommendations, back up your data, update your systems, 
you know, test your IR plan, check your security team's work, segment your networks. You know, it's all basics, you know, basics and asterisks because everyone that's a practitioner knows the basics aren't easy. Um, and it's real easy to Monday morning quarterback and say, hey, just do the basics. Uh, what I what I kind of find interesting about this notice is it, it ends saying the federal government stands ready to help you implement these best practices. And I kind of LOL at that. You know, segmenting your networks in a production environment in a company that has all kinds of technical debt could take years uh, to do. Um, you know, many of these recommendations from the executive order and for these best practices are not something that can be done overnight. Now, of course, we need to be doing it, but I just find it ironic that they would say, you know, the federal government stands ready. Are you going to give me money? Are you going to give me grants um, so that I can recruit and train staff? Like, what is the federal government going to do? Earlier on, it does talk about, you know, uh, the, the government is working to, to disrupt the ransomware um, networks, working with international partners, um, want to have policies uh, uh, towards the ransomware payments and cryptocurrencies and things along those lines, right? Those are the things the government is kind of focused on now. But as far as actually implementing these best practices, aside from NIST coming out and giving a guideline on how to do this, I, I really struggle to see how the federal government's going to help you know, all the, all the companies out there. Cause they're basically saying everyone could be a target here. I don't know, Sean, what do you, what, what do you think of that? What's your practitioner hat think of that? So, yeah, what I think is kind of interesting about that is the, um, you know, like, does that mean that uh, the, the agencies and, you know, kind of company, you know, the parts of government that have already been becoming a little bit more public and transparent, like the NSA and, you know, FBI and, and, you know, other agencies that are similar to that do operating in the cyberspace. Does that mean that there's going to be more resources put out on that end? You know, are they going to giving us better um, intelligence? Is it better tools? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in that same boat, you know, it's that, um, it's that one quote, you know, the trust us, we're here from the government to help you or something like that. Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm really curious what, what exactly that means. And, you know, on the, that same, thing you know it's is it, is it more more budget now that they're taking away from the f-35 to do this or you know how, how are they going to make this all happen and what does that look like um so i'm very curious i want to you know see how this works um i hope if nothing else it drives a little bit more kind of collaboration you know within the industry or maybe um you know some innovation that that a lot of uh, security companies out there are doing uh, to kind of maybe take the heat off uh, you know, waiting for the government to do it. Maybe private industry, this is the wake up call to, to do it ourselves. So um, yeah, I, I definitely want to see where this goes. One, um, one on the practical front, one, cause I've been doing some, some public, uh, some PR responses um, on this today, you know, like how should you use this as a security leader? Uh, you know, we're moving into Q3, you know, in just about a month, people are going to be doing their 22, 2022 planning going to be, you know, proposing and, and attempting to justify investments to the CFO and to your executive leadership. I mean, this is something, you know, just the headlines alone, you know, it's an opportunity. Ransomware is, you know, it's a scourge. It's horrible, but it is an opportunity. Perhaps we can use, you know, the current threat landscape and all these big companies getting targeted this executive order. And maybe you already had something in your, you know, maybe zero trust was something you're trying to get funding for to, to roll out a, a particular component of, zero trust architectures. And so maybe you can use this to help justify it. The one thing I would say for everyone to do, and we've talked about this off and on for, I mean, years now, it's like the tabletop exercise. And and, and they do recommend this in Anne's letter, test your incident response program. But I would do that, 
you know, in the next couple months, I mean, I would start it next week if you haven't done it, because then as you're working on your budget proposals or when you're getting into Q4 and you have some leftover funds for the year, right, you'll know, oh, okay, maybe I need to spend more money on training. That's actually something that I, I really liked about this one. Um, let me see if I can find, yeah, they say on the, you know, what we urge you to do now section, you know, um, to have a skilled, empowered security team. Like, I think that's absolutely critical. So often we focus on the technology. You know, my first thing would be is what's the training gaps that we have? Let's use some of our end of year money on that training to level skill set and then think about the technology next. So I think there's, I think this could be a tool, you know, for your strategy and trying to move the ball forward in your program. Uh, but I, again, I LOL at the government saying that they stand ready to help implement all of these best practices because I see that as a, a bit of a stretch. I appreciate the gesture though. Yeah, and that's interesting to bring up the training aspect just because I know that um, that's one of the things that helps keep butts in seats really is, as far as in your security operations center and incident responses is, you know, um, having a, a program where you actually develop your analysts to, to, to be better and really do cool stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that also, you know, comes to bear as well, just just because we talk about the skills gap and the, the actual amount of people in security jobs versus the need for security jobs. I know that number varies all over the place, but you know, those different things can, you know, help with turnover and help, you know, actually grow really effective security programs just by, you know, sending people to training, developing those skills and, and helping people grow um, into being really good security practitioners. All right. Well, that just about wraps us up for this week. Um, we do thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, we do have uh just a couple of shameless plugs going on. Um, this week we have three blogs out. Um, first is talking about cyber attacks and the problem with attribution and response written by our own Chris. Uh, we also have um, a perspective blog on the Verizon DBR. Um, some of the key takeaways, especially looking into the criminal market and, and some of the trends that we're seeing. Uh, that was also out this week. And then I believe out today was uh, ransomware and law firms, as uh, Alec had mentioned earlier, um, basically that aspect of ransomware attacking um, different legal services and providers um, and, you know, what the consequences are about that. Um, but otherwise, um, it is the beginning of June, so happy Pride, everyone. And remember to uh, tune in to us next week when the microphone swings back over to Europe and our UK team walks us through another week of Shadow Talk. So I've got, yeah. a, I've got one thing to plug, Sean, yeah. before we wrap. Oh, it's yeah. just uh, one of our more recent guest podcasts. Uh, we had, uh, maybe been released uh, last week or the week before, Jeff Stone from CyberScoop, which is, uh, we've been getting a lot of positive feedback on the socials on, uh, but he's the uh, editor at CyberScoop. So that that episode, if you hadn't heard it, was around the parallels between journalism um, and the investigations they do there um, and CTI work. And then we also talked about, which was very interesting for me, we also talked about the ethics of interviewing extortionists um, and kind of talked about the, the precedent uh, historically of journalists interviewing bad guys, uh, you know, different uh, leaders in the world, uh, different um, despots and things along those lines. So that was a really interesting one and we've got good feedback on that. And actually Sean and I are about to record uh, another one um, uh, with um, AJ Nash from Anomaly. So that'll be our next guest one that's going to come out of the hopper in the next week or so. Awesome. So definitely check us out. Uh, we will have these interviews as well as a couple of others on the horizon. Um, so as always tune into shadow talk and we thank you for your time. And uh, once again, have a great rest of the weekend. See y'all. Oh. Uh.